thank you for being here this morning. We are um, going to be covering Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But before we get started, we want to have a word of prayer because, you know, it's not what David Barber says. It's what the Holy Spirit says through David Barber through my reading and studying of the Word. So let's have a prayer so the Holy Spirit is in control and He drives the lesson and not myself. So let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for this opportunity we have that we can come before these people here via this medium and we can open your word and we can share your gospel and we can talk about your son. What a great opportunity, Lord, that we have. We thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we still have in America today to be able to share the gospel. For, Lord, we don't know how long that will last. We know that every nation that has served you has turned from you over time. So we pray, Lord, that you would lift up America. Uh, Lord, we may be going through trying times, but Lord, we pray that your uh, word would still have freedom. Lord, we know sometimes it takes persecution to get us busy. And Lord, if that's what it takes for us to be busy for you, then so be it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would have his will had his way in whatever we say and do today. For it's in your name we pray it. Amen. Okay, so if you get your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We have the great opportunity to be sharing God's word through about Jesus today. And that, not that we don't talk about God all the time, but specifically uh, we're studying the lives of Jesus and things that are going on in his life. And so as we uh, uh, look at this, we're not going to give you a lot of introduction. We're just going to go straight into the lesson. Because as we go through the lesson, we'll be talking about the background information on it. So if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2 in Mark, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum. Now, prior to this lesson in chapter 2, we see Jesus had just healed the leper. And then he told this leper not to go and tell people. And the reason why he did that was because he wanted the freedom to be able to go out and preach the gospel without the throngs upon him. And he knew that if this message got out, there would be lots and lots of people coming to see uh, this person. So, And we can see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 45. It says, But he, being the leper, went out and began to publish it much. And to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So we see because of the leper did not do what Jesus told him to do, Jesus now was forced to go out and preach in the desert places, desert places, because he couldn't go into towns, because there were just too many people packed around him. And we see Capernaum. Well, Capernaum, we talked about it already previously, but Capernaum was a city on the bank of Galilee. It's Jesus' home base of operations throughout his three and a half years of ministry. It was also, interesting enough, the home of Peter and his wife's family. Well, Peter was a fisherman. It was on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you'll notice, though, that, that this place that he's coming to now uh, was not the city that was mentioned in Mark 145, because in Mark 145, he was in a different city, and he came back to Capernaum from that city where he was preaching. 
Now, he probably, uh, uh, it says after some days, he came back to Capernaum. We don't know how many days it was that he stayed and preached in that city after healing the leopards, and all the people came, went to desert. We don't know how many days that was. You know, Jesus probably, no doubt, remained long enough in the desert to heal the sick that were brought to him and give instructions to the multitudes who were attending his preaching. You know, he preached the gospel to them. And so he stayed as long as he needed to stay. So it says after after uh, some days. It wasn't immediately. It was after some days. It says it was noised that he was in the house. So Jesus came back to his home base after a few days. After preaching. After the healing of the leopard. And came back to his house. It says it was noised he was in the house. Well whose house is this? Well. Some people think this could have been Jesus' house. Remember, his home base was Capernaum, so he could have been at home in his own house. Um, some think that it was Peter's house. The truth is, the Bible just doesn't say. And it really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, he entered in the city, doubtless, privately, and his being there was soon known. So we know that Jesus just went home. And when he was at home, people began to gather around his house. His house or the house that he was at. It's also possible that Peter could have had a big house. He was a fisherman. He could have had a big house with another room. And it could be that Jesus lived in the room uh, or the apartment uh, attached to Peter's house. We don't know. We really don't know that. Verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together. So immediately, a large crowd, straightway means immediately, a large crowd was gathered. You know, what would happen if a celebrity came to your town and came to your house? I don't know of a celebrity today that I would flock to somebody's house to see, but uh, say, uh, uh, okay, we know that uh, uh, President Donald Trump is ending his term uh, this coming week. And, but he's very, very popular. He was very popular before that. So what if President Trump comes to your house? If you're not a Trump supporter, let's say Biden or whoever, it doesn't really matter. The point is, say a famous politician or somebody famous comes to your house. Uh, do you think throngs of people would gather around? Probably so. There'd be people who want to see him and people that knew him and <laughs> knew you. And, and this is what happened here. When Jesus got a big, a straightway, a, many were gathered together. They kind of uh, thronged around the house. It says, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much about the door. His, his popularity was so great that soon the crowd was so big that you could not even get near the door. It says, not so much as about the door. That means you couldn't get in the courtyard even before the door. You couldn't even get to the door. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland? I have a Disney World. I've been to Disney World. I've actually been to Anaheim, California, where Disneyland is at. I didn't go to Disneyland, but I was there, and I had a conference or something in Anaheim, California uh, a couple years ago. So I was actually at the place where Disneyland is at, but Disney World is bigger. as multiple parks out there in Disney World. But when you go there, get on the rides, you've got to wait in these long lines. I mean, sometimes you can't even see the entrance door to that. So this is kind of the way it was. There were so many people they couldn't even get near the door. They couldn't even get close enough to hear him. And it says, As he, and he preached the word unto them. Well, Jesus is a good preacher of the gospel, right? He is the Savior, and he knows it's important for him to share his word with people. We as 
Christians recognize that we need to share the gospel with people. So wherever we go, we need to be sharing the gospel. So he says he preached the word unto them. Jesus takes the opportunity to preach the word. He preached the word. It says, and he preached the word unto them. You know, it's important to preach the word. Too many use the pulpit today to preach perceived social injustices or political points of view. They use the pulpit as a bully pulpit, you could say, you know, where they want to get their ideas across. We have people in the pulpit today preaching that abortion is okay. That's not biblical at all, folks, killing unborn lives. I saw there was a rally in North Carolina here uh, yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, where a new lieutenant governor said the mo that one of the most abominations we can have is to murder unborn life. You know, I'm a strong advocate for uh, innocent life and and, uh, and the uh, uh, not anti-abortion, but pro-life. We're not anti, we're pro-life. So there's a little difference. But anyway, they didn't want to get off on that. But the point is the people that preach that pull from the pulpit, they preach the, the alternative lifestyles, which we know are not biblical. Now, again, I'm not attacking those who are trapped in this sin because you understand sin is sin. The world will do anything in sin. You can't, you can't, you don't know what a sinner can do. You don't know what you can do as a sinner. We're no different than they are. The only difference is that we have accepted Jesus Christ. God's Holy Spirit has revealed himself to us and we have accepted him. And because of our accepting him is what he did for us. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The same can be true for them. So let's don't get our place in the position where we criticize or, or try to belittle sinners. Sinners are no different than we are, that we're the same thing. We're sinners too. We're sinners who've been saved by grace, His grace. So be careful about that. Yes, we should talk about the sin. Yes, we should not tolerate sin. But be careful not to, 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 to condemn those. We don't have the right to condemn. We don't have the right to judge people. Only God judges them. But we have the right to talk about sin. So here Jesus was preaching the gospel. Some people, again, want to use the pulpit for political purposes and not to preach the word. God demands us, by the way, to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That word long-suffering means understand that the sinner is a sinner. Don't expect a sinner not to be a sinner. Don't expect, you know, well, I remember... Uh, last year or so in the news, there was a lady who had these uh, had these big um, tigers, Bengal tigers. Yeah, had Bengal tigers that she used as pets in her house. Well, one day some of her people started missing her. They went and found a, a foot left. Well, they said, "I don't understand. These were their pets. What happened? What happened was they're tigers. <laughs> you know, they kill, they eat. That that's their job." Uh, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're, they're by nature that way. Don't be surprised when a tiger does what a tiger does. Don't be surprised when a sinner does what a sinner does. A sinner that doesn't say, now we surprise ourselves when Christians do things they shouldn't do. Yes, we are surprised. We're disappointed. God is not surprised, but God is disappointed. You can't surprise God. <laughs> he knows what you're going to do, but you certainly can disappoint him. Anyway, I digress. Let's look at verse 3. And when they come to him bringing one 
And they come to him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So we see four men decided to bring their friend who has some kind of palsy to be healed. We know they're four because it said they're carrying him in a bed, one at each corner. Maybe born of four. So there was four people carrying him on whatever, a bed, a couch, uh, a mat. We don't know. But there were four men carrying him because the man could not walk. He could not do anything. He had no strength. He couldn't do anything. So they came to him and they got to this crowd and the crowd was large. They couldn't even get near the door. Verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed when the sick was laid. It says, so when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, getting to the place where Jesus was located was one thing. But getting their friend to Jesus was another. The crowd was so big, there was no way they could push their way through this crowd with this sick man and his bed he was lying on. They just couldn't do it. They got there and said, well, that's not going to work. That's an impossible task. Well, they could say, well, we made an effort. We did all we could do. Well, take him back home. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, Fred. You know, we did what we could do. But these friends believed that Jesus could heal their friend. And that no matter what it cost, they were not going to leave there until Jesus healed their friend because they knew Jesus could do it. They had total faith in him. And you know what? Today I, find, I wonder about that with us as Christians. Do we have total faith in Jesus? Do we bring people to him for healing? Do we pray for people for healing? Do we truly believe that God can heal them? If not, then why are we praying for them? If we believe that God can heal our nation, why aren't we praying for our nation? If we believe God can turn hearts, why aren't we praying for the politicians who don't view life the way the Bible does? That God can, can convince them of their hearts. You know, again, we had a pastor years ago that said sometimes God's got to burn your barley fields. That was uh, Ricky Evans, who's now pastoring in South Carolina. But the point is, you know, the, the deal is, maybe God's got to do that to some of our politicians and all. But we should be praying for them. These men saw there was no hope. But they didn't give up hope because they knew no matter what we have to do, we're going to do it. Whatever it takes was their motto. So it says they uncovered the roof where he was. We see these men identified the location in the house where Jesus located. They knew approximately where he was at. They, did, they knew where he was at because they could have tore the roof off the wrong place, right? Now it's possible that Jesus was in an apartment like we already said or some specific room or a suite within that house. But we know that this room probably had uh, no chamber over. It wasn't a two-story. It was a one-story. Uh, we know houses in the east, being low, generally have a ground floor only or one upper room. This house also, like other houses in that country, how doubtlessly had a flat roof uh, with a battlement around it. You know, some type of a, a thing to bring you fall off. The, the, in Deuteronomy 22.8, it says, When thou buildest a new hole, a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. So in other words, he told them, he commanded them, when you build a house, at least put a battlement, put some type of a, a, a lip around it to prevent people from falling off the roof. 
So no doubt this house had a battlement upon it. These roofs also typically uh, kind of a, they typically had a kind of trap door in the roof where people could come up and walk upon it and take air uh, or perform their devotions. We know Acts 10, 9, it says, On the morrow, when they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So we believe probably there was probably a trap door up at the top that people could go up on the roof, get some air, do their devotions, meditate or whatever. Kind of like a patio or a deck today, right? That's what they had. Uh, this door was shut, lying flat on the roof. Made a part of it was, and it was probably well fastened to secure the house against thieves. So it's probably latched from the inside. It says, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So the bearers of the palsy being prevented from taking him to the door because of the crowd, hauled him up by some other stairs to the roof. A lot of these buildings had stairways. Most of the stairways were inside instead of outside to prevent people from doing it. So they probably went inside to the courtyard somewhere and found a steps that were going up to the roof. So they took this man and went up to the roof. And when they get to the roof, the, the, uh, uh, the trap door is probably locked. And so therefore they have to break it open. And it says, so they, they uh, when they had broken it up, they no doubt break the latch or, or the, the, the tile around it. And so they could get entrance. Also, it could be that the, that the bed was bigger than the entrance. And so they had to make it wider. So they probably had to break off some of the actual roof. Now, it's not really that unusual. Those roofs are made out of typically reeds and mud. And they usually do redo the roofs. Uh, my understanding about once a year because they're made out of clay and rain and all on it over time probably washed some of the clay away and so they had to come back and redo the roofs about once a year uh, that's, that's my understanding so again it wasn't a big thing to fix it after it was done but the point was these guys were determined it says they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay to let down the sick man on his couch they had to make the entrance bigger we already said this uh, they had to remove the trap door frame uh, once they broke it up or pulled it up, as much of the frame as adjoining tiles, they let down the couch. Now it says, each man held the banner couch by the corners or by the rope, and they lowered him down so that Jesus would see him while he was preaching. So here Jesus is preaching to this crowd, and he looks, and here comes this bed <laughs> with this man sick of the palsy coming down out of the ceiling. Everybody probably stopped. Jesus probably stopped what he was saying. And look, I mean, can you imagine the scene? I, I can. My mind, I can see the scene. <laughs> Jesus preaching, the crowd listening, all these people excited, and here comes this bed lowering down. Now, they might not have heard the cracking of the noise above them. It's possible because there was probably a large crowd, but they might have heard something going on. What's going on up there? And all of a sudden, they see sunlight. <laughs> and here comes this bed and can you imagine it's probably like a spotlight shined on him because when open the thing up the light comes into this room it's probably lit by candles now or by windows you know and so here comes this thing and so they lowered him down verse five when jesus saw their faith 
You know, James 2.18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you thy, show thee my faith by my works. See, this was not baseless faith, but one that took action. Jesus saw these men have faith. How did he see their faith? He saw their faith by their works. Does Jesus see your faith by your works today? You know, we have faith not because of works, but we work because we have faith. Jesus saw the faith of these men. These saw the faith that these men had in himself to heal. These men truly believed that Jesus could heal. Jesus saw their faith in him. Jesus saw the faith of this man also so that he could be healed. Jesus saw their faith. Man, what a faith. I would love for in my writing to say, or, or my writing, and someone writing about Jesus writing about me, or someone writing about me, they would say, Jesus saw David Barber's faith. Saw my faith. How do you see my faith? You see my faith through my actions. Not by what I'm saying, not by what I'm thinking, not by what I'm feeling, but what I'm doing. That's how we show our faith to the world. Verse 5b. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Uh, Jesus sees a real needs and not just our superficial needs. See, uh, this man no doubt felt unworthy to even be in the presence of Jesus. Uh, therefore, this man had to have his sins forgiven before he felt comfortable by asking to be healed. You know, the first thing we should be doing is praying that God forgive us for our sins. You know, we really should start our prayers. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Put those out of the way so that I might be able to request from you something for others or even myself. For sin stands in our way, folks. And this man here recognized his sin needed to be dealt with before his body his spiritual need was greater than his physical need. Now, maybe his suffering that he had was a result of excessive sin in his life. We don't know what caused the palsy, but it's possible. At any rate, uh, his consciousness of his sin was such that it was necessary for Jesus to speak to his soul before healing his body. Verse 6. But therefore, there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Now, it appears that while Jesus was away from Capernaum, that the scribes and the Pharisees had come into Capernaum and set up shop. Uh, no doubt to try to gather more information on Jesus. This was Jesus' home base of operations. We know John 5.18 says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So they were looking for more ammunition, for more evidence, for things that they could bring charges against Jesus. So they had come to Capernaum here to do it. Now notice that they were sitting there. In other words, they weren't, they had already gotten there early and were taking a position of authority sitting. The others were no doubt standing. To sit means that you're an elder or you're a you're a rabbi or something like that. So these men were sitting themselves in a prominent position to listen to Jesus. 
they're better than he was. But they were watching everything that he did. Look at verse 7 of A6b. And reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? It said reasoning in their hearts. See, these men had a heart problem. That's where sin is at, folks. Sin is in your heart. It is a heart problem. It says they allowed their personal views of right and wrong to override the facts that they saw with their heads, with their eyes. Sometimes we see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. It comes from the heart. Hatred comes from the heart. We're, we're down, we're dealing with this thing. I bet if I post something on Facebook today about uh, 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 these, they kept talking about white supremacy groups are out there trying to do things. First of all, there's another thing is white supremacy. See, God created the races and they didn't create one superior to another. So there's no such thing as a superior race. It's a blessing from God. God puts you where he wants you to be. And he doesn't give you any lack of abilities. Everyone has the same abilities. And we should be treating people the same regardless of this. That has nothing to do with anything. But it's in the heart. That sin comes from the heart, not from the realities. They saw, uh, so these men, what they saw did not make sense in their view of God, these scribes and Pharisees. They did not say anything, but only thought about it. They thought when Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven, in their hearts, in their minds, they thought, that's blasphemy. That is blasphemy. What does it mean to say blasphemy? Since Jesus' message did not match their religious views, they took that, that this must be blasphemy. Blasphemy, by the way, is the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. So these men believed that this man, by saying he was forgiving sin, was blasphemy. And in their minds, again, they didn't say anything out loud. Jesus understood their minds. It says, who can forgive sin but God only? This is what they were thinking. Well, by the way, that's a valid statement. Only God can forgive sin. Uh, since Jesus is God, though, this statement is true. And justifies Jesus' act. Even when these men didn't understand that, their thoughts were correct. Only God can forgive sin. And since Jesus is forgiving this man's sin, i.e. he must be God. You see? To claim to forgive sins implies distinct equality with God regarding one of his most incommutable attributes. See, only God, God can't give the ability to forgive sin to anybody. He's the only one who can do it. Jesus was God, so he could do it. So Jesus perceives that they have this thought because Jesus knows their thoughts. It says that immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves. In other words, when he read their thoughts. Jesus can read your thoughts today too. You know, you can deceive the world. You can convince the world of right and wrong and doing things. But no one knows your heart but God. God knows where you are. Even though Jesus, even though these scribes and Pharisees didn't say anything outwardly, Jesus knew the desires of their heart, knew their thoughts. Verse 8b, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? So while they're thinking, Jesus looked at the scribes and Pharisees. Remember, they were sitting. So he looks at them and says, why are you thinking these things? Why are you, 
Why do you think these things in your heart? See, his whole soul was a human, but it says, he reasons things, his spirit saw it. See, his spirit was divine. Jesus' spirit is divine because God is spirit, right? His body was flesh, but his spirit was divine. By his divine faculties, he penetrated and even reveals to them the thought and counsel of their hearts. Hebrews 4, 12-13 said, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested or revealed in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees you. I've heard this. God sees you when you're naked. You understand? When you're buck naked, you got nothing to hide. God sees you. There's no place you can go. David said, if I ascend to the highest heaven, thou art there. If I descend to the lowest hell, thou art there. There's nowhere you can go that God is not. God sees your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knew these men's motives. He said to them then, Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. So Jesus simply asked the scribes and Pharisees a question. Is it easier to forgive sin or to heal the sick? Which is it? I ask you, which is easier? To forgive sin or to heal the sick. I can't do either one. Both of them are impossible for me to do. Both of them are impossible for men to do. So Jesus' rhetorical questions are meant to further their thoughts. See, only God can heal. Only God can forgive sins. Therefore, healing and forgiving is still in the same powers, hands, the same characteristics, the same set of energies. Only God can heal. Only God can forgive sin. Therefore, if you can heal, you are God. If you then Therefore, if you can heal, you can forgive sins because only God can heal. You see the thought process he's given these men? Verse 11, verse 10. But that ye may know, Jesus said to them, because you cannot see the act of forgiving sin, he told them, I'm going to show you my power to forgive sin by showing my power, my ability to heal. See, Jesus healed the sick because he showed them that he was God. And by being God, he has the power to forgive them for their sin. See, the healing that he did of their bodies didn't last. How do I know that? Because everybody died. They all died. Lazarus, he rose from the dead, but Lazarus has a grave somewhere. He died. See, healing of the body doesn't last, but healing of sin is an eternal thing. But God showed his, Jesus showed his ability to these men that he was God, because only God could heal the body so that they would accept that he had the ability to heal them of their sin. So he said that ye may know that the Son of Man, now, interesting this phrase. This is the first time that Mark uses this phrase, Son of Man. We'll find it 14 times in the book of Mark. This title, the Son of Man, is never applied by writers of the gospel 
to them, uh, themselves to God. It's only Jesus is the one who refers it. So when they refer to him, it's when Jesus says the Son of Man. They never say the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself Son of Man. Uh, by the way, this is the title that Jesus preferred over any other title of himself. He can be called Emmanuel, Son of God, uh, Mighty Prince, Mighty Warrior. He can be in all kinds of names that he has named for him. The Brighty Morning Star. He can be any of those things. But he chose to be called the Son of Man. See, it did not say he was not the son of a man, but he was son of man. There's a difference. See, the word originally used for man implies human being. The, this expressed denotes that he was the son of God from eternity, from all eternity. Okay, let me say it again. So we know he's the son of God from all eternity, right? He was God, he is God, the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God. <laughs> right? We know God, Jesus was in the beginning. He was the Son of God. He has always been the Son of God. But he became the Son of Man. He became the Son of Man. He became the second Adam. He became the second head of our human race. He became the crown of our humanity. Yes, he was the son of God, but he became the son of man. And it says he had power. He won't even know that this son of man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Because Jesus is the son of man and the son of God, he has the power. He's been given the power to not only heal on earth, but to forgive sins on earth. You know, God forgives sins in heaven, but Jesus was the ability to forgive sins while he was here on the earth. He said to the sick of the palsy. So he told them, look, it's easier. Which is easier for me to say that? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm showing you that because I want you to understand that me, as a son of man, now as the heir to the world, as the second Adam, I have the power to heal, I have the power to forgive sin. You can't see me forgive sin, but you can see me heal people. So he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up your bed, and go thy way into thine house. See, Jesus now turns back to this newly clean Christian. He'd just forgiven him of his sins. We know he had faith in Jesus already, and then Jesus forgives him of his sin. As we have faith in God, God forgives us for our sins. This is a perfect example of redemption. So here this new Christian is. Now he's a Christian. Interesting enough. Jesus is a Christian. I mean, this man is a Christian, but he still has a palsy. He's saved. His eternal destiny is done, but he still has the palsy. See, just because God saves you does not mean God is going to wipe away all the troubles you have in your life. Your physical ailments, you'll still be there. If you are blind, you're probably going to stay blind. If you are sick, you're probably going to stay sick. Unless that sickness is a result of sin. Or unless God has a path for you, a plan for you. We always hear about the people who die on their deathbeds. They get saved on their deathbed. Yes, God didn't save them from their death. See, it happens. that The two are not related, I'm telling you. 
So he says to the of palsy, now I've healed you of your sin, and that's the most important thing, but because I'm going to show these people that I have the power to forgive you of the sin, to justify my power for giving you of the sin, I'm going to heal your body too. He said, arise, take up your bed, and go to thine house. He tells him to get up from his mat. This man had all he needed, both spiritually and physically. He gave him everything. Get up your bed and get going. It says in verse 12, And immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. So we see this scene after Jesus spoke. The man got up. Now, that man, who knows when the last time he's walked? You know, we always see you have to have physical therapy to build up those bones and structures back again because over time, that's why when they put a cast on you, after they do a cast or whatever, you have to go through physical therapy. Why? Because your bone, your muscles become weak when you're not using them. So here this man, who knows how long he was that way? But, but his legs probably didn't work well. But we see Jesus not only heals him, he restored his strength instantly. This is a miracle on top of a miracle. He not only healed him, but he gave him his strength back immediately. He took his bed, which showed his strength. Before there was four men carrying the bed, now this man himself takes his bed and he walks away from everyone there. What's the result? Last part of verse 12 says, in, in, in so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Notice it says, everyone was amazed. The crowd, and yes, even the scribes and the Pharisees, because it said, everyone, all. Didn't it say that? And so much that they were all amazed. Everyone glorified God. They recognized Jesus' power came from God. That moment in time, everyone in that room who saw this miracle understood that Jesus had the power to forgive sin and the power to heal. They understood that his power came from God. They left with a witness. What did they say? We have never seen it this way before. Truly, these people left here knowing that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah. These men had faith that Jesus could help their friend. We, have, we can have faith that Jesus can help our friends. These friends did whatever it took to get their friend in need to Jesus. Are we doing what we can to get our friends to Jesus? Jesus has our power, has the power to meet our needs both physically and spiritually if we seek Him today. Are you showing the world the Savior that showed Himself to this group by forgiving the sins and healing the man sick of the palsy. Are you today saying never before has it been this way? Let's pray. Lord, forgive me for my sins. 
Lord, help me not be hindrance my prayer because of sin in my life. Just like the sick man and the palsy, Lord, I recognize I must get rid of my sin before I can come before you to ask for anything else. So, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And I know, Lord, you have the power to do that. So I trust you and I believe you and I know that is done. Now, Lord, I pray for those that might be listening today that don't know you as their personal Savior. Lord, your power, as you can heal the sick, you can forgive the sins. More importantly, forgive the sin, Lord. We recognize that sin is the destroyer of our lives. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit work in the lives of those who may listen today or in the future to this recording. Lord, that, that they might, the Holy Spirit, convict them of their sins so that they might cleanse their heart, heal them from their sin sickness. Lord, I pray for those that might be physically sick today, that your healing hand be upon them. Lord, those that might have this awful disease of COVID as we're going through right now, that you would heal their bodies. Help them restore their strength. Lord, let them go out into the world and tell the world that I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. I know he lives. I know he lives because he lives within my heart. I thank you, Lord, for your son, for his saving grace, for who he is. Help us, Lord, to be like these friends and share our faith with them. Bring our friends to you, no matter the cost. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.